0: This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of the Your Morning Basket podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I am so happy that you are joining me here today. Well, as a special guest on today's podcast, we have one of my very best friends, Sarah McKenzie, and she is on here today talking to us about her new book, The Read Aloud Family. It's always exciting to talk to Sarah, and this is a wonderful conversation. We dig really deep into why the Read Aloud message is more important than ever in our time also how Sarah actually gets reading aloud done in her family of six kids from teen to not quite toddler anymore and then also how moms can be confident in making book choices for their families that's something that's near and dear to sarah's heart so we're going to be covering all of those topics and so much more as we introduce you to the read aloud family today so sit back grab a cool drink and we'll get on with that conversation right after this word from our sponsor This episode of the Your Morning Basket podcast is brought to you by Maestro Classics. Would you like to bring classical music into your children's lives? You can add classical music to your morning time today with Maestro Classics. These award-winning CDs and MP3s feature storytellers Yadu and Jim Weiss, accompanied by the world-famous London Philharmonic Orchestra. Choose from a dozen titles, including Peter and the Wolf, The Nutcracker, and one of the Barnhill family favorites, The Story of Swan Lake. What makes Maestro Classic CDs so special is that each CD and MP3 contains a 24-page activity book, with illustrations, puzzles, games, and fun facts for kids. You can download free curriculum guides that combine classical music with science, math, geography, and other subjects. All CD and MP3 sets include tracks, which explain to your children how the music was made, who the composer was, the history and story behind the music, the instruments used by the orchestra, and most importantly, how to open your ears and really listen. Listening is a learned art, and Maestro Classics guarantees that these recordings will explain and develop listening skills in your children. Visit maestroclassics.com for free shipping on all CDs and MP3s. They start at just $9.98. As a Your Morning Basket listener, you can receive 17% off your order by using coupon code PAM at checkout. Go to www.maestroclassics.com. That's Maestro, spelled M-A-E-S-T-R-O, classics.com, where the best classical music curriculum awaits your homeschool. And now, on with the podcast. Podcast. Sarah McKenzie is a homeschooling mother of six and a favorite guest of ours here at the Your Morning Basket podcast. She's also the host of the wildly popular Read Aloud Revival, where she equips and encourages families to read together and build a shared culture in the home around books. Author of the bestseller Teaching from Rest, A Homeschooler's Guide to Unshakable Peace, Sarah has a passion for speaking to the hearts of busy, frazzled homeschool moms. With her latest book, The Read Aloud Family, hitting the shelves today, Sarah is joining us on this episode to talk about making meaningful and lasting connections with our kids through books. Welcome one of my very favorite people in the whole world, Sarah McKenzie. Oh, thank you so much, Pam. And you know the feeling is mutual. Well, it is so good to have you here again. And I am so excited that your new book is coming out today and I get to be the one to talk to you about it. Me too. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So, this is awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about the read aloud family. Why is your message of reading aloud and making those connections with your kids over books? Why is this a timely one today? You know, I think for a couple of
1: reasons. I think parents today, you and me included, are we're under a different kind of pressure than parents have ever been before. The world is so noisy and our kids, not just us being distracted by all the things we have to do and the devices and to-do lists and phone pings and all that, but our kids are too. And so, so often I think even though we really want to make these really rich, beautiful connections with our kids, meaningful relationships with our kids before they leave our home, our homes can sort of end up being the center where we're passing each other and, or all sort of orbiting around each other but but living in our own little world. You know what I mean like we're all engaged in something different. And reading aloud is one of those things that you it requires the parents to be present. Even if it's just for 10 minutes, it requires the t- the parents to be present with the kids and then it just creates this really beautiful opportunity to engage on a deeper level. So I think, you know, Jim Trelease came out with the Read Aloud Handbook A few decades ago and really came out with some amazing research that helped parents and teachers, both parents and teachers, realize how impactful reading aloud is, especially for kids' academic success. And that hasn't changed. But I think modern parents are up against maybe some different new – or I don't even know if they're new, but pressing demands on our time and attention and just sort of revisiting the importance of reading aloud and then figuring
0: out how to make it happen today is an important conversation to be having. You know, that's a great point because, you know, looking back at the Read Aloud Handbook, it was very much about why this is so important for your child's development. But that's, yeah, that's really great because nowadays, you know, we know that it's academic development and that's still an important thing. But it's almost like we've gone beyond that and we have this extra layer of, problem with this busyness and and you know ships passing in the night thing that read aloud reading aloud with our families can really help us with that so it's almost like you've taken um and expanded upon the work that he did because of these new issues that have developed that we didn't really have when we were kids so much
1: Well, and I think there's actually something most of us as parents want even more. I mean, we all want academic success for our kids. Yes, definitely. But even more than that, I think we want a good relationship with our kids. I mean, we want our kids to come home for Christmas after they move out when they're older, right? We want them to call home. We want to have this relationship and these memories that they look back on with fondness. And reading aloud is sort of a power punch because it gives us the, ac- you know, the academic boost at the same time that it helps connect us with each other in this really meaningful way. At the same time that it helps our kids grow in empathy and compassion. And while it also inspires them to be heroes in their own stories, So just sort of like it's this power punch thing where you can do one simple thing. And yes, it does boost their academic success. But even those more important, really basic things that we want for our kids,
0: like good relationships with them, it goes such a long way toward that, too. Well, I am all about efficiency. And when you spell it all out like that, you're right. Reading aloud is just like one of the most efficient monsters that you can put into your day because it's reaching out and doing all of these different things. So I like that. Yeah, it doesn't
1: feel like that, though. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, because that on a normal day, if I'm going to, you know, take 10 or 15 minutes out of our busy schedule and read to my kids, it doesn't necessarily feel like that moved the needle, you know. But if you it's If you look at that cumulatively over time, then it makes a huge impact. And so it's one of those things we have, it's one of those things that's so important, but we have to remind ourselves to take the long view or we
0: miss the importance of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's deceptively simple. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, talk to me a little bit about your family. And one of the things I have been loving as I've been reading the book are all the little personal stories that you put in there because you know it's kind of like okay Sarah sent me her book and I know her really well <laughs> but there have been some fun little stories in there about you and your kids and the different ways Um, you know I love the story about uh, Drew whacking down the roses with the and spoiler <laughs> alert here Um, I won't tell you why he did it you'll have to go read it yourself but those have been a lot of fun so talk to us a little bit about how your family has bonded over reading together
1: well, so it actually, I started reading aloud a lot more when my oldest kids were young. So I have six kids. My oldest is 16. The youngest are four-and-a-half-year-old twins. And when I just had three, I had uh, really gotten this bee in my bonnet about reading aloud. I had heard the imp- the tremendous impact it could make on their academic success. Uh, and so I thought, well, well we're going to try this because I like reading aloud. So we started doing it a lot. And then I realized really shortly after that that while it did improve their vocabulary and their language ability and all those good things, reading comprehension and all those things that were promised, what what meant more to me was this sort of inside language that we had in our family, sort of inside jokes, kind of like when you go to a movie or something as a family and then people quote the movie and it's sort of almost like an inside joke later on, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that, but with books and it happened all the time and my kids would start acting out the books that we were reading together It just ended up being sort of this invisible tie that was bonding us together. And then um, we had another baby and then another baby and another baby. (laughs) (laughs) And as life got stressful uh, and even more stressful, I should say, and things got more crazy, I realized that even in the thick of like little babies and toddlers and work schedules and, and homeschooling and all the different demands on our time, That the thing that really made the most difference was actually still reading aloud. It was still sharing a story, like reading the Wizard Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and having a really quick, casual conversation about whether we think it's more important to have a heart or a brain or courage. Things like that that I that make this big impact and that my kids still remember now from homeschooling five and ten years ago. You know, they don't necessarily remember. The science facts or the history facts, they totally remember the stories and or even the way they feel when we were reading, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because I can remember those days way back in the day and we probably were like emailing each other back then, <laughs> as opposed to texting <laughs> or something. But I can remember uh, being you being so excited over Andrew Poudoi, and nurturing competent communicators, and us having all of these conversations about this. And you started this practice where you guys were reading like two and a half for three hours a day. Mm-hmm. I had a little bitty kid at the time. And I can remember being insanely jealous that, you know, because your kids were, your three oldest were like, older than mine your youngest was the same age as my oldest so you were like spending hours a day in your pajamas reading with them and I had these little kids I couldn't get them to sit still I was like I want to spend hours a day reading and you were so excited about it so you've been doing this for what five six years now
1: yeah, although, you know, it's changed the way it looks in our family because once we started having more babies, those hours of reading aloud turned into minutes. Yes. <laughs> and um and so that's been interesting. I would say reading aloud has been a very central part of our family life for the last 8 years or so, like 6 to 8 years. And it has never always, you know, it changes every year. There have been years we read like you said 2 and 3 hours a day. And right now I read to my older kids for about 15 minutes most days, not even every day. And my younger kids I read to every day because, of course, they have to have their bedtime stories and whatnot. But um, not for like really long chunks or anything. But it's it's that cumulative effect that really kind of strikes me because we sort of tend to think, you know, you have to go all in on something for it to make a difference. At least I mm-hmm. do, right? And what I've found is that not really, I mean, you can read, you know, 10 minutes every other day or so. And that ends up being about 30 hours of reading aloud over the course of a year, which is a lot. And you could cover a lot of ground that way. And so reading aloud has been very formative, but that doesn't mean it's always, you know, it's happening every single day in copious amounts. So one of the questions I get when um, we go to homeschooling conferences is people say, so, you know, how long do you spend reading And aloud every day? And I think they're surprised when I say, well, some days not. And then other days, you know, 15 minutes and sometimes when things are really good more, but it's just that, that, um, dedication toward realizing that this is a really important piece. So even if we don't get to it every day, it's still going to be a central part of our family life, kind of how we identify ourselves in the world too. You know, we're a reading family, that kind of thing.
0: Right. Well, okay. So that was how you started, but what have you, I mean, you've been doing it a while. What have you learned about reading aloud with your kids that you didn't know back then even when it seemed like you were doing more of it what what have you learned since then about it
1: oh that is a really good question i think because i didn't have teens back then one of the things that i have learned recently is what a good gateway reading books can be to having hard conversations with your kids you know as your kids get older and they have to learn about some of the more nitty gritty hard stuff in life <laughs> a story can be a really safe way to open up that conversation. And so I guess I didn't realize back then when we were reading books that seemed more lighthearted, and we still read a lot of lighthearted stuff now, but we're just not afraid to tackle. Here's an example. So my oldest daughter is 16, and she read – last year she read Red Scarf Girl, which is a story – it's actually a memoir about a girl who was raised in communist China during this cultural revolution, and – Ah, uh, it was her first experience of reading about communism. And it was also her first experience of reading, like from the perspective of someone who was raised to believe that this was a good thing, right? So it's just it was like slipping into someone else's shoes that she had never considered before. Well, that reading that book, and then just, talking about it a little bit with her, opened up some amazing and deep conversations that we had. Some And it wasn't like we sat down and it was like, what's the meaning of life? It was like, you know, we'd be in the car and she would just mention something from the book or I could just ask, so what surprised you most about that? And she would, you know, it was very organic and casual. And what I didn't realize back when we first started reading aloud so much was that this was going to end up being the foundation for the best conversations I'd have with my kids about the most important things, you know, all the things that we do want to talk about. And sometimes we don't really want to talk about, but we Mm -hmm. need to. So the stories would be a really good, safe, easy gateway to tackle
0: those things with with older kids. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because that's something when you're sitting there reading, you know, uh, Llama Llama Red Pajama for the 15th or 20th time, and you're really kind of paying your dues, and the dividends (laughs) are going to come later.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the funny thing is, is, you know, I'll be reading Lama Lama Red Pajama to my younger kids and the older kids, I'll look up when I'm done, all my teens are... (laughs) around my shoulders looking over the... <laughs> it's so funny. It's like they remember those books and they become a part of who they are, so they just can't help, you know. Just, just happened last night. I was putting the three younger kids to bed, so I was putting all their pajamas on, and it was like factory line, right? Like, <laughs> brush this one's teeth, pajamas on. This teeth, pajamas on. And then I sat them all down, and I started to read to them a book of fairy tales by... Or I guess they're a book of folk tales, is what they are, by Jane Yolen. And my son came into the room to grab something out of the dresser, and then he just, like, he's 12. He just... He got. He was starting to move really slow, and I just kept reading. It was a, it was a folk tale he's heard many times. A tortoise in the hair. He's mm. moving slower, moving slower, and then finally just sits down <laughs> and listens to the rest <laughs> of it because I, I think he was on his way to take a shower, but he he
0: he just couldn't. You know, that's the power of stories, right? They just sort of reel us in. Yeah, and picture books for older kids. I mean, there are some wonderful picture books out there. And it's not the only diet you want to give them, but don't ever be fooled to think that an older kid won't like a good picture book.
1: (laughs) Totally. Actually, so in the Read Aloud family, there are some book lists in the back that are divided by age. And I chose some picture books even for teens. So, Like if you flip to the teen chapter, you'll see my favorite picture books for teens because there are some picture books that are not appropriate for younger kids, but are perfect for teens, especially um, a couple that I mentioned in there tackle some pretty big things like, um, like social justice and civil rights and slavery and things like that. Well, a picture book can be a really great way to open up that conversation with the teen. If you don't feel like you have the time to read a novel that, you know, like to kill a mockingbird and then talk about social injustice with your child, you could read a picture book and talk about it. It takes a lot less time and commitment, but picture books, whether they be like the lighthearted, joyful ones they remember from being really little or the really powerful, impactful ones that are coming out today about big topics. I think I totally agree. Picture books, you're never really too
0: old for picture books. Okay. So having said that though, and you having teenagers, more teenagers than I do, because my oldest is just 12. How do you convince that teenager to sit down and listen to that picture book?
1: Okay. So with my teens. Now, I think this is a little different because my kids have sort of been read to for a while. So I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two different things about this. The first is that um, my teens are always doing something with their hands while I'm reading aloud. Now, I think we a lot of times think of little kids and know that a little kid probably needs to, you know, if we're going to be reading from a chapter book or Little House on the Prairie or something, they might need to color or work with Play-Doh or something while we're reading aloud. And in fact, there are some really great research that shows that brain your brain actually engages at a higher level when your hands are moving while you're listening to a story. Um and so we think of that with younger kids but I think it's a lot of times even more true with our teens cuz they're kind of fidgety and they they feel like they have a lot to do and it's all very important, you know. <laughs> and my teenagers if they can paint watercolor paint or sketch or something even if it's a picture book, I will just let them do whatever they need to do with their hands and let them listen. And a lot of times um, that just helps break it from them feeling like you're having circle time or something, you know, like I, we're going to sit here and have like a preschool circle time. They don't, you don't want them to feel that way. So um, sometimes I will put those picture books up high and see these picture, these books up here are not for the younger kids. And that immediately makes my 12 year old go like, I'm going to read every single thing that's up
0: there because whatever is, <laughs> there's, there's got to be something really juicy up there
1: yeah. or she wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, But you know, a picture book or novel, one of the questions I hear a lot is how do you convince your teen to be read to at all? Because a lot of them, you know, sort of think reading aloud is a babyish thing. And one of the things that I think does work often is to put an audiobook on in the car when you're on your way to co op or you're on your way to soccer or piano lessons or the grocery store or whatever. And so that they don't think you're putting it on for them, you just tell them you're putting on, you know, I hope you don't mind, but I really wanted to listen to this audiobook um, of The Hobbit or whatever, and you just <laughs> you just happen to put it on while they're a captive audience, and um, if they think that you're doing it for you, it just sort of breaks that barrier of, look, no teenager wants to feel like their parent is reading to them or doing something to improve them like they're a project right right so if they can just realize if they can see reading aloud or sharing books as something that your family just does and not something that you're doing to your child <laughs> that makes a big big difference
0: okay yeah I think that's good all right so let's talk about choosing some books because this can be a little overwhelming and I think a lot of moms um you know it, it, they're a little bit at a, at a loss how do i how do I know I'm picking the good books because you walk into the library or the bookstore there are so many books, and so how can I be absolutely sure that I'm getting the best ones? We only have so much time. so what are your criteria for making uh for a book to make it into the McKinsey household?
1: Okay, this is a really good question, and I've heard people say you know it has to have good character development and And all these things that you wouldn't actually know until after you read the book, which isn't that helpful to a busy parent who walks into a library or bookstore and wants to know where to start because you're thinking, well, I have to read all these to know if these are worth my kid's time. So there's two things that I think... Help the most. One is just to have a really good book list or two or three at your disposal. And I really feel like I spent years, like many, many years, choosing books almost exclusively from book lists that I trusted. And by doing that, it was, they were sort of like training wheels. They kind of taught me how to ride on my own, right? So once I was using those book lists for several years, I would re- recognize particular authors or Characters in books that were familiar to me, like, oh, that's Streganona. I know we like those stories. Or, you know, you just sort of get in the habit of recognizing the authors that are consistently putting out really good books because you've seen them on the book list and you recognize them. However, I will go into a bookstore or a library and see books that I've never heard of before that are on any of the book lists because they're brand new or I've not heard someone, you know, who I trust. Tell me that this is a book that I would love. And so I tend to look for three things when I'm just looking at a book fresh, like just, you know, completely new to me book. I'll pick it up and just sort of read. If it's a picture book, I might read the first page. If it's a novel or chapter book, I might read the first paragraph or two. And then I'll flip in about a third or a fourth away and I'll read a little bit more. And I mean, this takes like less than two minutes. That's how quick you're doing it. Just really quick. You just want to taste of what that book is and then I answer what I call this three question test these are the three questions that I always ask myself before a book makes it to one of our reading stacks and the first thing I do is after I've done that little test and I've read that little bit I mean that once I've gotten a taste I ask myself about the images if it's a picture book did I want to look at the images longer than necessary or did they not capture my imagination at all? Or if it was a novel and I was just reading text, could I see what I was reading in my mind's eye? That's the first thing that I want to ask myself. And then the second one is I'm looking at the vocabulary because nobody on the planet is inspired by, you know, dull, boring language. Uh, We don't want to be condescended or talked down to. We don't want to read something that feels like it's been dumbed down. And the best books, picture books or novels or any of them have really rich, vibrant language, The kind of language that you want to say out loud, right? The kind of juicy language that really paints those images that we were just picturing in our minds. And then the third thing I ask myself is just, am I curious to find out what happens? Because if you're not, then it might be kind of hard to either read aloud or to get your child to really engage with the book and be interested in it. So I think you can kind of go into a bookstore or library. Flip through a few pages and ask yourself about the images, about the vocabulary, and then whether or not your interest, your curiosity is piqued. And that's a pretty good litmus test to figure out if a book is going to be worth your time and attention. It doesn't mean you're never going to run into a dud, because of course you are, but that's a good way to sort of easily weed out the stuff that you know you don't want to waste your time with.
0: Okay. So when it's all said and done, when you've finished reading the book, what, what is it that makes it a keeper beyond those three criteria for choosing it?
1: All right. I think really good books have these two qualities, and they all do. When I was reading, and there are about 400 book recommendations in the Read Aloud family. I read them all cover to cover, and what I realized is they all had these two qualities in common. And actually, there's a lot more books, of course, that are really worthwhile that didn't make this particular book, because this particular book... um this particular collection of recommendations in the read aloud family are books that are really good to read aloud, but even books that aren't necessarily awesome read alouds, but just really good books. Otherwise they all have these two qualities. And one is that the book needs to leave you with a sense of hope Even really sad books do this, like Bridge to Terabithia by Katherine Patterson or Old Yeller. Those are sad books, Where the Red Fern Grows. These are sad books, but they also leave you at the very end with this sense of hope. A really good book will help the reader see the world with fresh eyes, even if it sort of took you this wide breadth of emotion from really, really sad or angry or frustrated. It kind of circles back, and it also helps you see the world in a new way, helps you see God in the world in a new way, and it helps you just see the people around you and the people God has put here on Earth and love them more. That's what a really good book does. Um, Not didactically, not in a preachy way, but just by making you feel a little more grateful to be alive. Really good books leave you with a sense of hope. The other thing is that a really good book appeals to a broad age range. So you'll see this with um, books like Charlotte's Web by E.B. White, or The Lion, Mm. the Witch, and the Wardrobe right by C.S. Lewis. Adults enjoy those books every bit as much as kids do. C.S. Lewis himself has this great quote where he says, uh, no book is worth reading at the age of 10, which is not equally and often far more worth reading at the age of 50 and beyond. And I think I've noticed that when I've been reading with my kids, is that the ones that that my kids love most, I'm also enjoying
0: every bit as Mm. much as they are. Yeah, I think so. We found that to be the case here too. So, yeah, okay, that's some good stuff. I'm going to make you go back to this part though. What makes a book a great read aloud book just as opposed to being a great read alone book? Okay, so (laughs) don't tell anybody I said this, but (laughs) they're short.
1: (laughs) So somebody (laughs) asked me recently, how do you read aloud long? What are your tips for reading aloud long books? And I said, yeah, Don't, don't do that. (laughs) Here's why. If you try to pick up a really long book and read it with your kids. Now there's a difference between, um, there's a difference between a a long classic and a long modern book because sometimes long modern books, they move at a little bit of faster clip. But still, if you're choosing a really long book to read with your kids, you might only get one or two or three books in, you know, over the school year. And that can be kind of demoralizing, kind of lose your steam a little bit. And there is just something really, I don't know, it motivates you to keep reading when you're able to read a short but really good book. So I don't mean short like 50 pages. I just mean you don't need to pick something like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. It can be something shorter. Um, So I would choose something that was shorter, especially if you're just getting into the habit of reading aloud. I look for books that don't have really difficult dialects because that can Mm. be hard to read aloud. Those are amazing on audio. So For example, Mark Twain's books make really good audiobook (laughs) listens because they're a little hard to read aloud. And really wordy old books like Duff by Charles Dickens, I think that's better done on an audiobook
0: instead of mom trying to read it aloud. Oh, yeah. Tim Curry doing uh, Christmas Carol is so much better than I can ever do it. Exactly, right?
1: Exactly. And, you know, there's even like, just classics in general. Like um, I've read Peter Pan by J.M. Barry to my kids before, mm-hmm. but Jim Dale narrates a version on Audible, and it is exquisite. I mean, it is so good. So sometimes it's just, you know, I guess that's a great read aloud. It's just better for someone else to do the reading. <laughs> but the other thing I look for is there. this gets a little bit more poignant when the kids get older, but when I was making the read aloud book list for the read aloud family and I got to the chapter where I was recommending books for teens... I, I didn't realize this was going to be quite as hard as it was because I have teens and they read voraciously. But what I realized was a lot of the books that I'm comfortable handing to them to read on their own, I wouldn't want to read aloud. Just a good example of this is Marcus Zusak's um, The Book Thief, which is a book set in World War II during the Holocaust. And... It's a gorgeous book, and I thought for sure it would make my list till I went to reread it to make sure and remembered that the narrator in that book is actually death. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want my voice to be the voice of death (laughs) in my children for a really, and again, it's a really long book. And I realized this is probably not a great read aloud. And then again, there's maybe content that you're okay or comfortable with your 16 or 17 year old reading, but you might not want to read out loud word for word. So there's just, that becomes a little bit more obvious as they get older that some books books uh make better read-alouds a lot of times those books are a little more joyful and sunny because hard stuff can be really difficult to read aloud uh, especially if you're reading with a wide range of ages because what's appropriate for your teens or your tweens to listen to might not be appropriate for your younger kids so there's a little bit of a trick there
0: Okay, I like that. and But that leads me to another question. And so in the Read Aloud family, you have, you know, kind of the 10 questions, the questions that you can ask your kids about books. And so since you're wanting to have conversations about some of these harder books, but you're not necessarily wanting to read them out loud to your teen, can you use some of these questions that you have in the book to talk about books that you have handed to your teen to read themselves, but you haven't necessarily read?
1: Yes. Actually, I'm so glad you asked that because that's one of my favorite ways to talk with my older kids about books. So a lot of times my kids are reading books that I'm not actually reading, but they're reading for their schoolwork, maybe their history or literature or whatever. And what I have found is some of our best conversations have actually happened because I haven't read the book before. And And the reason I think that is, is because if I'm asking my child about a book that I have already read, they just naturally sort of think you're looking for a particular answer. You know, if you say, who is the most cowardly in this story? Or what did this main character want? And why couldn't they have it? They think you know the answer, and you're just quizzing them. (laughs) That's kind of what they're used to, right? But if you don't know the answer, because you've never read the book, now they just think you want to have a conversation. It just sort of puts us on the same side of the table. So we're more We're more like allies, less like the teacher-student relationship and more just sort of like what you would find at your book club when you just want to talk to somebody you love about a book, a book experience that they've had. Kind of like, you know, Pam, if you were to call me up and say, oh, I just read this book and it was so amazing and fantastic and you've got to read it, I wouldn't start asking you questions about... What happened? So I could find out if you really read and understood the book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. I don't know. You might, Sarah McKenzie.
1: <laughs> well, we have an odd relationship, I guess, but <laughs> odd friendship. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What um what happens when we do that with our kids is that we accidentally put ourselves at odds instead of instead of sharing a book experience together as allies, and so. A lot of times when we're just getting started with having good conversations about books with our kids, I think the best way to do it is by you asking some open-ended questions, and Chapter 11 has 10 of them, to your kids about books that you haven't read. They get sort of used to you just wanting to have a conversation about a book and not feeling like, where's the catch? Where's mom trying to trip me up? (laughs) Right? Which they might feel. They might feel like they're being quizzed or just sort of like to break the paradigm of how your family has talked about books before if it hasn't been this sort of conversational, organic, chatty, friendly way.
0: So do you ever share things about what you're reading with them?
1: I do. Unsolicited? (laughs) <laughs> I do. I'll, I'll read it out loud. You know, I'll like run into the other room. And be, oh, you guys have got to hear this, uh, you know, this passage or I'm big on using book darts. Do you goose those, Pam? Do you know what those yeah.
0: are? Mm-hmm. Okay. I do.
1: So I'm sort of addicted to them now and I put them, I like line my front, my front title page with 10 of them so that I don't have to carry the little tin around with me. Oh, and no. I-
0: that's a good idea right there. Okay. But hold on. Let's tell people <laughs> yeah. what book darts are in case they don't know. They're like these little metal, metal, pointy paper clips that you can uh, they're very light and kind of fragile and you can stick them in your uh, book and they point exactly to the passage that you want to remember so you don't have to underline it and you can find the page easily I and they put don't up the little... your pages or anything which is important no they don't yeah and so you can do it on a library book you know and then go back later maybe write them in your reading journal or write the quotes in a reading journal and then take them out and take the library book back and no fines or uh, anything but I have a funny I, story about that, actually, because I turned a library book in accidentally
1: with all the book darts in it, and I got a call from the library, and she said, I'm not sure what these y things are, but uh, do you want them back? And I said, oh, yes. Oh, actually, can I come back and get the books? I need to copy the, those things that i marked <laughs> into my journal. And she said, okay, I, I actually just need to know what these are because they're amazing.
0: <laughs> like, oh, yeah, oh, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That is awesome. Okay, so I normally sit with a little open thing next to me on the couch, you know, risking some child. C- it hasn't happened yet, but you know it's going to. Some kid's going to come bouncing next to me, and they're going to fly. So I love the idea of starting a book by putting your book darts in the uh, on the title page and then moving them. And now I've totally forgotten what we're talking about, so I hope you remember <laughs>
1: Um, well, first of all, the, there was somebody on Facebook that mentioned that to me and said, Hey, just throw some on your title page and you'll have them handy. And I thought that is going to be a game changer. So I know what we were talking about. We were talking about me sharing what I'm reading with my kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I have found my kids will pick up my book that I've laid around the house and they'll just flip to wherever my book darts are and they'll just want to see what I've marked. Cause that's a really quick way to kind of see what, you know, what, what's resonating with me while I'm reading. They've never actually asked me an open-ended question without me starting it. You know, like, they don't ever come to me and ask me, like, so, Mom, who's, who's the most courageous in your story? <laughs> uh, but they do They do listen to me, like, kind of squeal with, or laugh out loud, and then I have to read something. out. That happened recently with the Beakers of 141st Street by Karina Yanglaser, which is my favorite book to recommend right now. <laughs> it's new, and it's just wonderful. Um, and it's a middle-grade book, probably for 8 to 12s, but I read it myself loved it. And then I'm reading it aloud to all my kids now. And as I was reading it myself, I had to keep stopping telling everybody what was happening in the story so I could frame it and then read aloud
0: the conversation because I thought it was so funny. And they kind of get a kick out of it. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Well, that leads me to my next question. Do you always pre-read? Oh, no. I almost never pre-read. So, um, And the reason why is just
1: like we're all short on time, right? And so once you have kids that can read faster than you do, they have more free time. So once they like reading and they can read faster than you can, then there's no way you can keep up. So occasionally I'll pre-read a a classic or definitely I shouldn't have said never because if it's a book that I think may possibly have issues a child's not ready to read about, I will read it first just to kind of think just so I can kind of see if this I think this particular child is ready for this issue or topic or the way it's handled in a certain book. But by and large, I don't pre-read. I use open-ended questions to to talk with my kids about stuff that comes up. And we don't we don't talk about every book that they read either. But what I have found is that if you are in the habit of asking your kids these open-ended questions about books they start to kind of get in the habit of asking them themselves in fact my um, my 14 year old she told me recently that I asked the question who is the most courageous in this story so often that she now just figures out the answer before I ask it so that she's ready and so I'm over here thinking ha 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 ha, ha right because she's now asking herself the question who's the most courageous in the story every time she reads like by nature and so So um, even if I don't talk to her about a book and she's running into something that we haven't pre-read, so maybe I wouldn't have wanted her to read it in particular, she's learning. She's already in the habit of asking questions about it. And so it sort of guards your child against reading a book and being so easily influenced by it because they are question askers, because that's the way they approach stories.
0: Oh, I love that. That is awesome. Okay. I want to talk to you about this because I think this is really important. Uh, you know that homeschool moms are kind of like, we get ourselves tied up in knots about things. Um, You actually wrote an entire book about that. (laughs) I did. (laughs) So what are some ways that homeschool moms make choosing the perfect book or even a good book harder than it needs to be? Oh, that is such a good question. Okay,
1: first, I think it kind of goes along with what you just said. We get a little worried about making sure our kids are reading only things that we think are perfectly appropriate. So if you are worried that your kids might encounter something that doesn't match up with your worldview in books they read, then well, I mean, they're going to they're going to run up against worldviews that are different than yours in the books they read. So it'd be better to sort of, instead of worrying and fretting and trying to guard them from those books, to give them the tools to be able to handle that and recognize it when they see it in the books they read, which I think is just the habit of asking good questions and talking about them. Once they're in the habit of asking questions and talking about them, and once that's part of the way your family interacts and thinks about books, then you don't have to be so scared by books that don't match up with your worldview. The other thing is... Um, we place a lot of value in reading the right books, right? There's all these book lists online that are, you know, the books you should read before you go to college or the great books and the good books list. And we get a little bit tied up in knots about making sure our kids are reading the right things. And I'm using air quotes here, but one of the things I think we need to remember is that our child's reading life spans much longer than the time that they're in our home, right? We don't want them to read all of the best books, before they leave home there'll be nothing else for them to read that was just as you know we don't we don't want their reading life to end when they leave our home so if we give them a thirst and love for reading and then the ability and habit of asking questions about what they read then even if they don't read that book that's so essential for them to read um, if they don't read that by the time they graduate they run across it when they're 30 they'll still have this wonderful experience of finding a wonderful book and asking questions about it and getting this rich beautiful literary life um i will say i will admit now because i've admitted it elsewhere publicly (laughs) that i had never read pride and prejudice before very recently (laughs) and um it's so shamed to admit that out loud. But the funny thing is, is now that I'm reading it, I mean, I just feel like, oh my gosh, what else by Jane Austen have I not read that I need to read? It feels like stumbling across a treasure trove. And so instead of getting worried that our kids have to read a certain number of the quote unquote write books before they leave home, I think if we focus more on helping our kids love reading and then helping them get in the habit of asking questions about what they're reading, we're setting them up better to enge- engage with books their whole life.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's good. I think we do. I think moms need to hear that. And so thank you for, for sharing that, <laughs> that message that, you know, it doesn't end when they're 18. It keeps going on and on and on. And so the more important thing is to, uh, is to teach them to, to help them to love it and not. Well, and
1: we do, we kind of get, uh, I don't know. The more elitist among us, those of us who like t- like to talk about books a lot, we-, we tend to be very opinionated about which books are worth time and are worth our time, and we all have different opinions, and yet we never never cave, right? So <laughs> we have people who say, you know, I and here's another admission here: I am not a huge fan of. <laughs> I shouldn't even say this out loud. I am not a huge fan of Tolkien myself. Like I don't really read it for fun. <sighs> I know. To say that to a room full of homeschoolers is almost asking for an outright stoning, right? Like, I should not be saying this yeah. out loud. But here's the thing is, you know, we have this – we all have a different palate for food, right? Every Everybody has a little bit of different taste. And the same thing is true with literature. There are good classics that are good classics for a reason, right? Because they've stood the test of time and because they sort of cross over – interests and differences among people and there's something there for everyone. However, I think we have this false idea that there are certain books that are just the uh, you know, books that everybody should love if they're well-formed. And unfortunately, what that does is it kind of makes you feel like deficient or <laughs> like something's broken inside of you if you read a book by someone that you just didn't love. I mean, a great example of this is that Tolkien himself did not like the Chronicles of Narnia. And so mm-hmm. there... <laughs> there's, you know, there's room for taste. And I think we forget that as homeschooling moms, we sort of listen to these, um, you know, experts or tastemakers tell us these are the books your kids should love. And we forget that our kids are actually their own people. And maybe they might not love everything that the experts say that they should. And that's okay, because God made them a little different.
0: You know, it's funny, because I've come up against this myself, because growing up, I loved the Little House on the Prairie series. I mean, that I just love that series of books. Every Christmas, I think I asked for the whole set, you know, and it was not something that we could ever afford for my family to go out and buy the whole set of books, but I wanted it. And I can remember a few years ago, but I never read Narnia growing up. (laughs) It was just oh, wow, something yeah. I never read. And mm-hmm. so, um, I, I think Olivia was like two or something, and I found the entire set of Little House on the Prairie and I bought it and brought mm-hmm. it home. It was used. I'm looking at it right now. It's still sitting over there on the shelves. Nobody has ever read it in my house. <laughs> I mean, we've listened to some of the, uh, the, um, audiobooks before. Yes. But yes. no, you know, by the time I was Olivia's age, I had picked up this series and read it a number of times. But, You know, and yet she's done all of the Chronicles of Narnia, all of Harry Potter. Um, She likes Tolkien. She loves, you know, she read um, Fellowship of the Ring and she's listened to The Hobbit on audiobook. Fantasy is that girl's thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, I'm with you on Tolkien. He's okay you know, but it's not like something I'm falling all over myself to read. Yeah. And uh, but she loves it. That's just her deal. That's what she wants to read. And so now I'm looking forward to the high school years. And I'm wondering, is it a horrible thing? If, you know, I really have way more of that fantasy stuff in there that I never would choose to read, as opposed to things like the Scarlet Letter, which, you know, is not going to you know i mean not that anybody really likes to read the scarlet letter right i mean can we just be real here
1: yeah there <laughs> there's a um there i think there's a place too for like our high school students to have the ability to read something they don't enjoy yeah uh, but there's a difference between making that the bulk of their reading diet or just making that a skill that they learn so with my high schooler she actually uh, she's a 10th grader this year and she loves historical books, but she's not inclined to read something much fantasy. However, she did read um, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. And I don't Mm -hmm. think she enjoyed it, but it was just the ability to read something. you, You know, you've got to kind of develop that ability to read something you don't like. However, I would never make the bulk of her assigned reading or school reading or free reading or any of that books that she didn't love because that love of reading is too precious to me. I feel like it's very easily broken and it's very hard to get back, especially when you have a a kid that's now in high school or college and there's all these demands on their time and they have all this accessibility to screens, especially as they become adults. And so I really, really want to like preserve that love of reading. So I know for my 14 year old who adores fantasy, the bulk of her free reading is fantasy. And then I throw in some things (laughs) in her school schedule that are not things she would normally pick off the shelf herself. Um, But again, I don't want to make that the The bread and butter of her of her reading, because there's something about reading a book that you just you're enjoying that you just get so much more out of than when you're kind of slogging through looking at how many pages you have till the chapters end. And some of those, I mean, Little House books, um, the Little House on the Prairie series that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. we, we love the audio. But I think it takes a certain kind of patience to read about how Pa put this log on top of that log, which was this long on top of that log, which is that long. <laughs> and then he cut this. I mean, it's kind of like building Noah's Ark. I'm like, can we just get on to where the action happens?
0: <laughs> See, I love it. Do we need it. to know how many cubits? Really? <laughs> so, <laughs> someone, i going to get me email it. about that. <laughs> it's, and it's fine. But, you know, and you and I have a history of this. I think we have an old Pinterest board called uh, Books Pam Loves and Sarah Hates and vice versa. We do. We do. And we were reading. Recently we were recently talking about Adam of the Road and uh and now I'm really gonna get you in trouble and you're like You oh, are that one was <laughs> kind of a yawn fest and we're listening to the audio right now for school and we all like it. <laughs> Especially me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, that's
1: pretty standard for you and I. Our taste is
0: very different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not always, but often not always. So you have you have really pointed me towards some books that were awesome, so you know. Um but I never get worried if, like, if you tell me you didn't like something, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll give that a second look. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay. Real, like, let's let's end this with some fun, maybe quick, we'll see how quick they are, book suggestions for me. What are you okay? implying? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, just, you know, you kind of are chatty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, favorite book to read with a teen. Sorry, you said, you said quick. <laughs> um, I want to make sure I give you the right
1: one. Okay, I'm going to say Fever 1793. Have you heard of this book? I have not. Okay, this is it's not really a teen's book. So this is one of the things I ran up against a lot too in Read A Loud Family is I found that there are a lot of books that are middle grade books. So they're written for 8 to 12s or 10 and ups that deal with some pretty significant times in history or topics that even though they could be read by a child who's 10 or 12, my teens enjoy them on a whole different level. And Fever 1793, um, it's this a story set in 18th century Philadelphia, and basically this plague, this yellow fever, sweeps Philadelphia. And it's based on the actual the true events of this yellow fever epidemic that happened. But um, it's historical fiction and it's a page turner. So I stayed up really late one night reading it on my own and my teens have really enjoyed it as well. But there's a lot of historical context. So I could see a teen and a parent reading that one, either reading it at the same time separately and then coming together to talk about it or reading it aloud
0: um, and having some really great conversations. Okay. Favorite little kid book that won't drive you crazy if you have to read it one million times.
1: Uh, I would say The Seven Silly Eaters by Marianne Hoberman. Um, are you familiar with this one? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, I was hoping I would pull some that you weren't familiar with. Um, okay, so this is probably my favorite picture book of all time. But it's it, and if you see it, you'll know why because it's like about a big family life that's a little bit chaotic. And there are some baby twins in there that wreak havoc on the world. <laughs> so it's very personal to me. But it's a very fun, sweet story. It's told in rhyme, which can be really obnoxious if it's not done well. But Marianne Hoberman does it so wonderful. And Marla Frazee's pictures you just know by looking at them that this woman has experienced like life with kids on a day in day out basis because the
0: illustrations are really funny okay I'm gonna have to go look that one up all right favorite book from a contemporary author
1: this one's easy the bark of the bog owl by Jonathan Rogers so he wrote this trilogy called the Wilder King trilogy and I was just going to tell you sort of a summary of it, but I'm not going to do that because this is one of those books that I actually think the less you know about it in advance, the better. It does have a fantasy element, but I am um, not a huge fantasy nut myself. And I, I, I mean, these are some of the best books I've ever read. The first one's The Bark of the Bog Owl and they follow this, this story of a boy named Aiden who kind of has to figure out who he is and what his great work is for the world. And I don't want to give away too much, but it's that is probably... I read it. I found it in 2017. It was easily one of my favorites from the year. But I actually think if someone was to tell me, you know, like, you have to pick your top three favorite books that you'll get to read to your children over and over and over again and nothing else, that would be one of them. So that whole trilogy is fantastic.
0: And it starts with The Bark of the Bog Owl. Okay. All right. Last one. A book you've read that has surprised you. Sarah Uh, McKenzie is speechless. (laughs) saw somebody
1: document this moment
0: i would say a book that i've read that has
1: surprised me i mean a lot of times they all surprise me so i'm trying to think of one in particular there is a series of books called the books of bayern by shannon hale these are ya books they're for your teens or i'd say 10 and uh, i'd say probably 12 and up The first one's called The Goose Girl, and my daughter told me, my 14-year-old said, Mom, you've got to read these, and I kept saying, yeah, yeah, I will, but they're kind of like fairy tales retold, so The Goose Girl is the story of The Goose Girl, but it's made into a novel, Um, and I just sort of thought it might be too formulaic. I already know what happens at the end of The Goose Girl. You know, it's like if if you already know the fairy tale, you're not sure you want to read the novel, and that story, and in fact, Shannon Hale's writing in general just surprises me by how well she does it how well developed her characters are how you think about the books for weeks afterward so the goose girl uh sounds like it might be a book just for your teen girls but i there's plenty of like blood and (laughs) fighting in there to appeal to uh boys who are not interested in the princess story and that is one that i think another one that she's written that i would say surprises is princess academy which sounds like a, a book about princesses
0: I was just trying to put her name with something I have seen and I was like didn't she write that book and yeah it's almost like a book you would pass over because of the name (laughs) I did that sounds horrible
1: I really think no I know I really think it was uh, it's an unfortunate title for the book and I also think the new cover while it's Pretty and it's lovely. I think it sort of it looks like a Disney version of kind of like it kind of looks like *El Enchanted*, but the book is nothing like that. It's it's actually sort of a gritty book about um, it is a, a female lead who has to figure out if she has what it takes. I'm just going to say that much that she has to figure out if she has what it takes, and it's not princessy in the princessy uh, viewer you know, what I mean, like in what you normally think of my 12 year old son loved it. And so I wish it was called something else. But Princess Academy, maybe that should have been my top choice there for a book that surprised me. Because I think if it had a different title, it would probably appeal to a broader audience. And I wish it did because it's such a good story.
0: So both by Shannon Hale. Yes. Okay, awesome. Well, Sarah, tell everybody where they can find out more about you and the Read Aloud family.
1: Awesome. So the book is available wherever books are sold. You can also go grab it at TheReadAloudFamily.com. And we are talking all about different parts of the book, like particular ways of reading aloud with different age groups and kind of tricky things you run into with your smallest kids, with your teens and everything in between on the podcast. And that's at ReadAloudRevival.com. Well,
0: thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And there you have it. Now, if you would like links to any of the resources and all of Sarah's favorite books that we talked about today, including a link, how you can get your very own copy of the Read Aloud family, head to the show notes for this episode of the podcast, and you will find those at pambarnhill.com forward slash Y-M-B-49. Also on the show notes for this episode of the podcast, we have a little cheat sheet there for you for how to leave a rating or review for the Your Morning Basket podcast in iTunes. And we really appreciate it when you do that because it helps us get the word out about the podcast to new listeners. We'll be back again in another couple of weeks with another great Your Morning Basket interview. Until then, keep seeking truth, goodness and beauty in your homeschool day.